0: Opinions expressed in this episode are personal. They do not necessarily reflect the views of this streaming platform. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Let's Be Diverse. I am your host, Andrew Stout. This episode is dedicated to all my loved ones who have supported me through this journey. One of the main reasons why networking is so important is because it helps you build rapport. Networking can help you establish yourself as a reliable, supportive, Considerate and knowledgeable industry professional. If you do it right, people will eventually perceive you as an industry expert. Today, our topic is importance of networking, and I'm so happy to have as my guest today, Kimberly Brady. Now, Kimberly is a small business growth advisor, empowering entrepreneurs with psychology and precision, turning passion into profit. Kim is a dynamic business advisor and fractional CEO. For small businesses she also is a two-time author two-time founder and entrepreneur for 13 years she works with new and existing service-based businesses business owners who are founders coaches ceos consultants who are stressed out overwhelmed and constantly putting out fires instead of living the lifestyle that they dream of she assists small business owners with policies procedures systems employee retention Leadership development and standards of excellence. Probably one of the nicest people that I've met. So I'm so happy to have her on today. Welcome to the show, Kim. It is such a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. It's nice to see you. Nice
0: to have you on here today. How are things going in your world? What's new?
1: (laughs) What's new? Life is a little bit crazy and a little bit hectic. As you know, I just got back from physical therapy. I am recovering from emergency back surgery that I had back in May. So I am up and walking and moving around and trying to get my health and fitness back. So that's top of mind at the moment. Okay.
0: okay. And how's things going? You're starting to feel a little bit stronger?
1: Yes, thankfully. The fact that I'm up and walking and not walking with nerve pain and things like that. I still have a ways to go, several months to go. But my physical therapist told me tonight she's going to be able to get me back working out again. So that's what I'm excited about.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's great news. Well, glad to hear that things are getting better for you and you're starting to get back your strength and your back and you're able to get your workouts done. So that's awesome. Before we begin, I always have a fun question to ask my guests to get things going. Are you ready for yours? Sure. So my question to you is if two mind readers read each other's minds at the same time, whose mind are they reading?
1: So they read each other's at the same time. Yeah. Probably their own. Yeah, probably their own. Because we tend to think first before we speak, before we can capture the information from another person. We tend to be inside ourselves more so.
0: I was waiting to see what answer I was going to get from you. And that's pretty impressive answers. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you having fun with me. I always have fun with these questions. So. I think it's a great way to get started on things. Why don't we start off our fun discussion today with you telling us a little bit about you and your story?
1: Okay. So, you know, you and I have met through LinkedIn and and sometimes people do read or don't read people's profiles or take the time to look at what someone really puts out there. And I think that what I try to share with people is what you see is what you get. So born and raised in Southern California, played soccer my whole life, was able to be lucky enough to get a division one scholarship and competed at Cal Berkeley and played there and got my undergraduate degree. It's one of the best experiences that a lot of people could have as a young person to be able to get a sports scholarship. And then I was able to continue on to my master's degree. I went to Western Michigan University for my master's and became a family therapist at a very young age. I was working with severely abused and neglected children, even when I was working in Berkeley as an intern. And some of the employment that I had was working with some gang kids and things like that. So I was very young to actually become a therapist. And I was 25 when I became a therapist. And I was not a couch therapist, contrary to what most people think therapy is. It's being able to think on the fly in the middle of some of the most difficult experiences you could ever imagine. And I worked alongside law enforcement, worked with behavioral units, worked with teachers, schools, community arenas, et cetera, to really help kids. And I got burned out at a very young age. And at 29, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to see these things anymore. I don't want to witness these things anymore. And my parents were like, what are you going to (laughs) do? You spent your entire college career in graduate school, the past seven and a half years of education to do this. And now after seven years of being a therapist, you're quitting. What's going on? And I said, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I have a people degree. So I decided to throw a dart on a map and said, I can't afford getting back to California. I'll go to Colorado. That sounds fine. Whatever. Whatever. And I drove across the country with my car and my cat and my best friend and landed in Denver and then found a job. And I decided I wanted to learn about sales and trying to make a little bit of money because most therapists or teachers or people in social services or in the helper professions don't make much money. And they're not taught how to build anything. You're not taught financial resources in any way, shape or form. And so I said, I need to learn something. I need to learn how to make a living. I need to learn something that has a people degree because I wasn't technical. I was a people person, not a math person and not a statistics person and not a technological person. And so I got into sales into various companies and spent seven years doing business to business sales as well as business to consumer sales. And again, I felt like I hit this crazy wall of this just doesn't suit me. I'm not happy. I'm not content and chasing that feeling of where's my locker room? Where are my teammates? Being a soccer player for so many years and feeling like I was just missing something that whole time. And I had coached soccer for fun on the side for a long time and was always involved in sport in some way. But I had come home to California, visited my eldest nephew at the time. I have four nieces and nephews And he was 19 and I hadn't seen him for a while and went down to the beach. And we were talking and said, hey, what would you like to do when you grow up? I know you're working at a coffee shop right now. What are you doing? I want to support you. And he looked at me and he goes, Aunt Kim, you're miserable right now. You're the one in the family that has chased after everything. You went after sport. You went to college. You went to grad school. You did all the things, but you're unhappy. And so I'm having a really hard time following your advice. It was like this big aha moment. And I was like, holy cow, out of the mouths of your kids. And three weeks later, I quit my job. Again, my parents (laughs) asked me the same question. What are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea, but here's what else I'm going to do. I'm going to build something and I'm going to take in my nephew. And they thought I was crazy. And I said, I've been a therapist my whole life. I've helped raise other people's kids. Why not help raise my stepsister's kid? I'll help raise him. So I thought I wanted to build a coffee shop. I thought I wanted to build something that he could work with me because he had been working in a coffee shop. And I wanted to bring like this California vibe to Denver or so I thought. And so I had a little bit of money saved, not a lot. And asked my financial advisor, I said, so I think I want to build a coffee shop. She goes, no, you don't. And I'm like, Man, like first I have my nephew who tells me not to do something. Now I'm having my financial advisor three weeks later telling me I'm an idiot and that I can't build a coffee shop. Okay, great. Now what am I going to do? And my nephew's coming to live with me in two months. I told him I'm building a coffee shop. Now what? And she goes, Kim, you don't want to bring California to Denver. You want to move home. You need to figure out what you're going to do to be able to move back to California. I'm not going to let you spend what little money you do have building a brick and mortar that will take 10 times the amount of money that you have. You can't take out a loan. We're in the middle of the recession. You don't have any business background. So you need to figure out something else. And I went home and had my oh shit moment. And I spent about four weeks finally slowing down to think, what do I want to do? And so I took the time over those four weeks to really figure out what is it that I want to do. And that's how I fell into the company idea that I eventually built and scaled and sold my company. And what I ended up doing, I was always cleaning the house. Chores growing up were cleaning the house. My mom is full-blooded Italian, grew up in a very strict gender role house. And so girls had inside chores, boys had outside chores. So my brother would mow the lawn and weed and do gardening. And I was cleaning the bathrooms in the kitchen and cooking and cleaning. So in my house, while I was trying to figure out what I want to do, I was cleaning and then I was calling my friends and going, hey, can I organize your closet? Or hey, can I just come help you with something? I've always worked. I can't not work. I can't have idle hands. And so I knew someone and said, hey, I know you have a cleaning company. Do you want an employee while I try to figure out what I want to do? I need to make a little bit of money. I can't just sit around. And she goes, no, I don't want an employee. You have the personality to build a business. I'll teach you what I did to build the company. And that was my aha moment. The second aha moment was when I sat back for those four weeks, I really analyzed what do I want my life to look like? Not job title, not bank account. It was really what do I want to do? What is my purpose? And so the biggest one was I wanted to be a helper. I knew that I wanted to be in a different location every day. I'd never been in a corporate environment where I stayed in an office, so I knew I needed a different location every day. I knew I didn't want to wear a business suit every day anymore. And so that was a big one. I knew that if I couldn't work, I needed to have income coming in somehow. So I said, let me build something that I can hire employees so that if I don't work, my employees can work and I can provide good jobs to people and give to the community. And out of the blue, those five criteria matched the concept of building a residential housekeeping company. So that was how I came upon the concept of building a cleaning business with very little overhead, no money, no business background. And your topic of conversation is about networking. And my network of people that I had been building for three years before with networking groups and business partners that I had been connecting with to help my clients and my other sales arenas the coaching relationships I had, the friendships that I had, they all stood up and said, we will support you in this idea that you have. Whatever you sell, Kim, we trust you. We know who you are as a person. Go build this thing. So that's my segue into the power of networking and the impact of my story of how I became a business owner was really because of my network of people who believed in me. What
0: an amazing story. There's so many things that I want to dive into that just are so amazing. First off, I want to commend you for sticking with it and being patient and figuring it out. I'm talking to a lot of people and a lot of people have similar stories to yours. And I'm thinking back way back in the day when you went to school, you studied and you did your profession. And now people are changing their minds. They study Mm -hmm. for something for four or five years and then they decide they want to do something different because Mm -hmm. they don't like it. And people now are saying, what do you mean you want to change? You just spent Mm -hmm. like X amount of money at school. And now all of a sudden you want to change it to something different Mm -hmm. because I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. I commend you for figuring that out and for not doing something that you would not enjoy or you were not passionate about. I believe that when you're doing something, as far as career goes, you have to be passionate about it. If you don't have the passion, you're just not going to put your whole heart and soul into it. So uh, I commend you for the passion and for figuring it out and for adapting. And I also want to comment on the parts about you figuring out what's as these are the type of things I'm looking for, helper, different location, no suit, income, residential. A lot of people, when they're looking for a career coach, what they will do is they will say to somebody, if they're looking to change jobs or they're looking for a job, they will say, hey, okay, let's make a list of the things that you want to do mm-hmm. and make a list of the things that you don't want to do. And then we're going to start looking at job descriptions of the things that you want to do, because the things you don't want to do, we don't want to find you a job and you end up doing those things again. We want to find a job of things that you enjoy doing, because we spend more time working than we do with our families. So you need to have passion for what you're doing, because you don't want to be in a situation where you got to get up for work. On a Monday morning, you're like, oh, God, I got to go back to that place again today. Mm-hmm. You don't want that. You don't want that on yourself. You don't want that in your heart. You want to be like, yeah, what a week I got planned. I got this to do. I got this project to do, meetings, whatever. And you're thinking about
1: your week. That's passion. for me. I think that there's a twofold piece to passion because there's always going to be something in your job that you don't like. I don't care what it is. You can follow your passions, but you're going to have hard things, right? Like I was an athlete and I loved playing soccer, but some days I really hated practice. And then some days you get injured and you still have to figure out how you're going to recover. I think if you combine, I believe you should combine a passion with a purpose. And for me, I am an avid learner and I don't like to be bored. I need to make sure that my brain is constantly learning something. And so what I found when I was in corporate America was I didn't want to chase a corporate ladder for a job title. I didn't want to sit and wait for someone above me to get fired or laid off or die for me to have a chance to lead people. And the situation that's happening right now in corporate America, we're facing the largest corporate layoff we've seen of white collar workers in the history of our country. And I'm seeing people who are in the tech space who are three jobs ago, they were laid off. And then the last job they were laid off. And then another merger happened and they were laid off. And it's just this constancy of they're chasing their passion because they love tech, but then they also feel so emboldened by this thing and angry all the time because this world is just not helping them live that passion. They don't feel purposeful. They're forgetting, like, what am I here for? It's not the job title. It's not the bank account. It's what am I doing to help with my family? My big thing was I wanted to walk my talk for my nieces and nephews. That was why I quit. I didn't know that I was going to build a residential housekeeping company. I wanted to prove to my nephew that he could follow a person he looked up to. And so walking my talk was really important. And being proud of something that I could share with my family was important. So that was passion and purpose have to be combined. And I'm all for people quitting something that doesn't suit them. You got to leave things if it's harming you, but don't be so quick to, to run away, but do something with the purpose of what is the reason behind me staying at this job? Is it to get take care of my family? Is it to lead me into another skill set so that I could get another position, whatever it is. So I don't want people, they don't have to do what I did. Which was quit my job without a parachute. I don't recommend that. You don't have to jump off a cliff and build a parachute on the way down. Like you really can build a business in addition to doing your regular jobby job until you can transition financially. So I don't advise my clients necessarily to do what I did.
0: No, and you're absolutely right. It's not for everybody. It was right for you, but it's not right for everybody for sure. Yeah. So explain to us what you think is process of networking.
1: I believe networking and sales and business and life is all about relationships. End of story. But how do you build those relationships? And when I was in corporate America, I was told repeatedly to go cold call. And for a person who's an introvert and a person who's extremely shy and wants to be on the wall in a room of 200 people, telling me to go walk into a stranger's office to pitch something to them made me want to crawl out of my skin. And I said, I can't do business that way. If that's how you think I'm supposed to make money, I'm going to lose. This isn't going to work for me. And so I went after it from a different perspective, very old fashioned perspective from my Italian grandparents. And I believe that business is about a handshake and a smile and following through with what you say you're going to do. And so if I was whatever arena I was in didn't matter if I was playing soccer, I showed up on time and prepared and with my stuff because my teammates were depending on me. My coaches were depending on me to show up. If I was coaching my kids, I led by example of I showed up on time. I always had my equipment and I was ready to play and ready to coach. I did that in every job that I've had. So I don't care what job title I've carried. I show up to work on time. I show up to appointments on time. When people ask me to be in their podcast, it's very simple. Sure. You want me to be there? Here's what time I'm available. Okay. You don't really have to ask me twice. And yes, I understand mistakes happen. Schedules need to change at times. But my friend says this all the time. She leads by the ethos of how you do anything is how you do everything. And so how do you want to be known? What do you want to be known for? And for me, networking as a process is about building relationships over time. It's not asking someone to marry you and buy your service the first day you meet them when you don't even know their name, which is what happens on LinkedIn all the time. Or it happens people cold calling and pitch slapping you and you've never even I'm like, wait, don't even give me a ring. You don't even know my name. I don't even know if I want to date you. You have no idea what I like. Right. And so networking really is listening. It's paying attention to what people write, what people say, how they behave, commenting in real time on a real thing with purpose. Hey, I really enjoyed listening to that podcast episode with so-and-so. I'm more than happy to be a guest on your podcast, Andrew. Thank you for reaching out to me. Taking the time to listen to you on your podcast is important because this is your medium. This is your baby. So it would be super disrespectful for me to not take the time to get to know a little bit of that, right? That's what networking is. And when I was selling all my sales experiences, I took a longer sales cycle. So other people were able to do a lot more transactions, but they had a lot of chargebacks or unhappy clients or people who weren't happy where it took me longer sometimes to get my clients, but I kept them for a very long period of time. And that person who taught me about her business practices was a former client who became my friend who then said, I will support you in building your business. That's networking because you become friends with people later. And so it's very intentional and it's very time consuming, but I'd rather be real. So that's what networking is to me. It's about really taking the time to build a relationship with someone and try to think how can you help that person with what they're looking for.
0: I love all that. I am huge on building community. And I've been like that since I've joined. I was on LinkedIn for the longest time, but I never really, I'd say, used it to its full capacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been about a year and a half since I've used it to its full potential. And I'm Mm -hmm. still learning. Sure. Uh, There's some things that I'm learning that are out there from different people. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that I could do that on Mm -hmm. there. I love the fact of building relationships, building rapport. I think I agree with you 100%. Making sure that you're good at what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I always use an example as, if you go to a restaurant and there's 50 things on the menu but they're not good at one particular meal but they say we want to have all these things so we can give you variety that's fine you want to specialize in something and if you have 50 things on your menu You can't specialize in anything. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm thinking of when you say that. And I love the listening part too. I think that's important for a leader to listen. But uh, I was talking about this the other day with somebody, learning to listen with pause. So you're not Mm -hmm. listening to always give your feedback. Sometimes Mm -hmm. somebody just needs you to listen and not you giving a response back. They just need you to hear them out and you understand them and sympathize with them and just be there for them.
1: People struggle with emotion. So when they see someone maybe struggling with something or they are vulnerable and and maybe they're teary, maybe they're facing a problem, and oftentimes people want to fix it. They want to problem solve versus waiting and saying, tell me all of the things that you've tried that haven't worked so that I don't repeat anything. Walk me through the things you've done Let me hear the efforts that you've made so that I can find maybe something that I can help you with. Take more time with that person, invite them to talk more, being able to sit with them and say, hey, you have all the right to feel what you feel. Let's walk through how to process that. Tell me more about what you've done. What would you like to see happen? In a perfect world, how would you solve this problem so that we can look at The resources that might be available that we didn't think of. But I won't know that unless I sit down and really listen to someone. I think the amount of empathy that I hold because of what I did in my previous career path of being a therapist helps me in my business consulting practice. Because not only have I started, scaled, and sold my own company with employees, I know the ups and downs and the emotion of running a business. And it is not easy And entrepreneurship is not glamorous, and it's not about being a celebrity, and it really isn't about being a millionaire at all. And the majority of small business owners are not millionaires. It's a very false reality that gets shown on social media. And I find that some of the people that talk with me have a concept or an idea that eventually can build them a lifestyle that they really enjoy where finances aren't as crazy. But the first few year to five years are tough. They're tough, and so if you don't sit with someone, you're missing who they are and the humanity and the person. And, that, and that's what really networking is about.
0: So I know we've delved into a little bit, but I'd like to get into this a little bit more. I want to get your opinion why networking is so important in today's business world.
1: Because you got to find a way to get beyond the algorithm for Christ's sake. <laughs> you got to find a way to get beyond the screens we're on. We've got to find a way back to community and humanity and finding a way that says we're not alone in this world. It's so important. Business is about people. You're not selling to a robot. You're selling to a person you must be able to recognize that you're not the only person in the exchange. There's vendors, there's suppliers, there's employees, there's customers, there's networking partners and business relationships. There's networking meetings. We're community and we're forgetting that because of these screens. And we think that AI, AI can be a tool, but sometimes it blocks really good people from opportunity. And it's so important right now to say, hey, I need help with, can you find, who do you know who, can you let people know and have those kinds of questions with people and be unafraid to say, hey, I'm reaching out. I read this about you or, hey, Joe told me that you would be a great person to chat with. Can I talk with you about this? I recognize your time is valuable. Can I spend a little time with you? And be intentional about it. You can also over-network yourself and have meeting after meeting after meeting. And so I had to learn that too. You can be exhausted and you need to replenish. So networking needs to be purposeful. It needs to be intentional. It needs to be relational. And it needs to be ongoing. It's not a one-time thing with one person. It has to be ongoing.
0: You mentioned this earlier about working in sales, and you were talking about not being comfortable picking up the phone to make sales calls. I totally get that. And I have someone that I know, she works in sales right now, and she has her team and they have their sales goals. And they can do calls, they can send emails out or what have you. But what she does is She goes on their strengths. So if someone doesn't feel comfortable, pick up the phone to call customers. She said, okay, if you don't feel comfortable getting on the phone, I'm not going to make you go on the phone. So what things work for you? So they're like, oh, I like to do emails or I like to, I don't mind doing a a Zoom call with somebody, but I do like email. So Okay, let's find ways that you can use your email to, to activate and get personable with people. Uh, the other thing is I was having a coffee chat with somebody this week and what hit me when you said we're behind a screen a lot, mm-hmm. when I called her, we, were, we had set up a coffee chat with each other two days before. So when I called her, she said, oh, I gave you my number, but I thought we were going to be doing it online. But she says, this is okay. She does like this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm an HR guy and a diversity guy, but I do also have a sales background. And when I was in sales, that's what I did. I used the phone and Mm -hmm. people don't use the phone anymore. They use other things, but she appreciated it. And not everybody's going to be like that, but her particular, she appreciated that. Wow. I like this, that you were actually taking time to phone me and chat with me for 15, 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and, and get to know me. She just loved it.
1: Yeah. Everybody has a different style everybody feels successful. My job, by the way, was again, was not in an office. I was not in a call center. I was required to drive to my territory and knock on doors. And that was not what I was wanting to do. And especially in heels and a business suit. It's the last thing I wanted to do. And so I was like, so how do I do this in a different manner? So I found a networking group. I went to a networking group. I said, I can't cold call. What other thing can I do? And so I said, I need to build relationships with people. And a couple of my coworkers were laughing at me because they're just like, oh my God, if I did what you did, Kim, I'd lose my mind. I'd rather be on the phone. I was like, go ahead, be on the phone, stick in a cubicle with walls around you. Go ahead. I can't imagine doing that. I'm going to go to a meeting every week and I'm going to present things. I'm going to share stories. I'm going to meet with people. I'm going to learn about them. I'm going to figure out how to help my clients and I'm going to do it that way. And so each of us has a different skill set." Do I think it's important to be able to learn how to call a stranger? Yes. LinkedIn has actually helped me do that in that I found that if I follow people for a period of time, I can gather a little bit more information and then be able to email someone and start a conversation that way and then bring it offline or bring it to a phone call or an email or a face-to-face zoom call or whatever. So I have found that there are ways to make that easier, but for me, even walking into a room in a networking meeting when I haven't met anyone still takes every ounce out of me. It takes every ounce out of me. And I will still like, even the, the, a networking meeting that I was at two weeks ago, I knew about 10 people that were in the room and we were all meeting to watch the football game. It wasn't even a formal meeting. And I literally got there 45 minutes early so I could walk outside for a while to get my mind right to walk into the room.
0: You got your mind wine- set to be in a social environment. And I know lots of people that are like that and that's Mm -hmm. totally understandable for sure. Yeah,
1: I'm really good one-on-one. I'm really good with my closest friends, but you get me with a whole room of people. I do not want this to be the center of attention. I don't want all eyes on me. I don't want to make friends with everybody. I don't have enough bandwidth for that. Right, for sure, for
0: sure. So why do you think it's so hard for people to network?
1: It makes you vulnerable. You have to share more than you normally would. Because cold calling or just dialing for dollars, old school sales conversations, it's transactional. People are trying to sell something. Do you have what I want to sell? It reminds me of the used car salesman with all his chest hair sticking out and trying to be the sleazy sales guy and just going after quantity. And people don't like people who come at them. So we have this perception of sales. I hear this all the time. They're like, Kim, you love sales. I go, yeah, because I don't feel that I'm selling anything. So... They're like, but wait, you hate cold calling. I go, yeah, because that's, I feel like I'm selling something. But when I'm networking, I don't feel that way because I'm genuinely wanting to get to know the person. So oftentimes people feel they have to sell themselves to network when all it really is, is getting to know someone and listening to them. So when I go to a networking meeting, for example, I don't try to pass out a hundred cards. I look for a person who maybe by themselves or one or two people I will listen for a while and then interact, say hello, get to know a little bit. Oh, what are you here for? What brought you to the meeting? Blah, blah, blah. And then if there's nothing in common, go to the next person. I'm not going to trade my card for that person. I go in with an intention of I want to meet two people in this room that I could have a further conversation with versus someone to sell. So I think networking is hard for people because they come in with the wrong intention or they think they have to sell something in that instant in order to hit their sales numbers or in order to gain something. Where for me, it's that concept of getting to a yes. All it is, do I want to talk with this person ongoing? Because if I don't like them face-to-face, would I like them being a client if I have to do account maintenance on this person? Would this person like to work with me? Do we have anything in common? So I don't view people as a commodity. And I think that's usually what happens is people think networking is work. It takes due diligence, but I think they go in with, I must sell something or I have to fake it. I have to be fake or I'm not feeling it or whatever. And I can appreciate that part of it for sure. It's not easy. I even admit that it's not easy. It's taken a lot for me to do. I have 20 years of networking now under my belt.
0: (laughs) I I love when you said vulnerable. I think when people, when someone is vulnerable, I feel like they're showing their true, genuine self. And they come off as being trustworthy when they're mm-hmm. vulnerable. Where if you're not a vulnerable person, like you said, a sales guy, you hear it all the time. I've heard it for years. You know, oh, all sales guys. When you have that visual of what that is, and you try to avoid it, but when you're vulnerable, people are like, "Oh, okay, well, this guy is, seems to be real. Seems to be genuine. But let's have a chat with him and see how it goes."
1: Yeah. Nice. I love it. That's why I always say what you see is what you get. Most of the time, my hair is in a ponytail and I'm in a sweatshirt. That's just how I am. And that's why I deliberately do podcasts where I'm almost always wearing a sweatshirt or I'm just comfy. And I want people to be disarmed by the fact that I'm just a real person. I'm just like you. I feel, I cry, I'm emotional, I have bills to pay, I have an animal, I have loved ones. All these things happen. We're human beings. We're not human doings, and we're constantly doing. Instead of just being present with someone. And I think it just cuts across so many things. To me, being vulnerable is just, I, I guess it just comes natural to me. Again, I think because of who I am as an empathetic person and a trained therapist, I've seen the worst of the worst. So when you're cleaning houses, for example, it's not rocket science. So if a mistake happens, we solve the problem. What matters are the people who are in the homes and the animals. And did we take care of that person? And if we didn't, we have to solve the problems. And that's my previous company. So I look at it the same way when I'm helping people in their businesses now is if you make a mistake, is that really the end of everything? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, so let's walk through what happened. You just made a mistake in your business. How do we solve it?
0: What was a solution for anything? That's what, that's
1: what I for the most part. 90% of the time.
0: Yeah, there are those times where you have to look and see mm, maybe we mm-hmm. can't fix it. But most of the time, I would, yeah, you're right. 90%, I'd say it's fixable.
1: Yeah, I'm not in the military. I'm not flying a plane. I'm not a paramedic. I'm not a doctor. So I look at 90, 85% of the work that most of us do is not life-threatening or really, like we can fall on our face and make a mistake and it won't be as detrimental as some other decisions. So I, I just try to keep things more simple. I think that's why I focus on the type of clientele that I focus on, because it's really that neighbor next door. It's that person who's the mom and pop shop that wants to put a roof over their head and help their family. It's the restaurant next door. It's the small business owner is a floral shop I love that part of business. It's really what makes community go around. And that's really the type of people I love working with.
0: If you could choose one word to describe yourself, what word would that be?
1: Teammate. Teammate.
0: I love that because that's a great leadership quality, understanding that it's not just you, it's the team, any organization and it makes the organization run. So I love that.
1: Yeah. Business is a team sport. Yeah. Business is a team sport. And I believe I came from the ultimate team sport. Because on game day, coaches aren't making very many subs and they're not giving you plays, not in soccer. It truly is the decisions are being made by the 22 players in an instant on the field against each other. And if you make a mistake, your teammates will let you know. And you already know when you make a mistake. And it's how do you recover and how do you get back and how do you help your team win? Yeah. So I've never been a captain. I didn't need to be an All-American. And in my book, I wrote a chapter called The Reluctant Leader, because that's how I felt. I realized that I wanted to always be the teammate. And then all of a sudden, I now owned my company. And I'm like, Oh, my God, I actually have to lead and I better get damn good at it because my employees are depending on me. So I had to learn a lot. Yeah. So,
0: What I've learned is that some people think that everybody wants to be a leader. And I believe that not everybody does. For example, in a work environment, there's people that want to be the managers, they want to be directors but there's some people they don't want to be leaders they want to come in at eight, leave at five enter their data into their thing have their Mm -hmm. lunch and at five o'clock go home spend time with their family Mm -hmm. I know people that have been offered high management jobs and Mm -hmm. they're like no I'm okay they're like Mm -hmm. and everybody around them is getting promoted Mm -hmm. and they're like no I'm good I'm good And they don't understand it. They're like, what do you mean? You don't want to move up? And they're like, no, I'm good. Mm -hmm. I enjoy what I'm doing. And Mm -hmm. I enjoy the fact that I can go home and I can spend some time with my family, have supper. You have two cell phones, a personal phone and a work phone. And I don't have that. So your phone (laughs) is going off even after you leave at six o'clock. You're having supper with your family and your phone's going off because there's 10 different emails coming through. I don't have that. And I'm okay with it. I think a lot of people don't understand that concept of why some people don't want to be. And I get it. Some people just are very family oriented and they want to do their job, get their paycheck and spend time with their family. That's all they want.
1: There's many types of people in this world and we need every single one of them.
0: Oh, for sure. And we have to understand that, right? I think we yeah. can't put down somebody because that's what they want to do that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. And Mm -hmm. I would never say anything bad about somebody or push somebody aside because that's what they want to do. That's their decision. That's what they feel comfortable
1: with. And I'm okay with it. Any final thoughts today? No, I just want to say thank you for inviting me. And then thank you for having me.
0: It was a pleasure. I know it was pretty quick when we first talked on LinkedIn. So I'm happy that we're able to get it done, especially with your busy schedule. It's a little nutty right now. I was happy that I was able to fit it in and it was a pleasure. I think this conversation was awesome and I'm sure that our listeners will enjoy it as well. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. So on behalf of myself and my guest, Kim, I'd like to thank you all for taking the time to listen today. And until next time, be safe and remember that if we all work together, we can accomplish anything. You have been listening to Let's Be Diverse with Andrew Stout. To stay up to date with future content, hit subscribe,